teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. Well, good morning all. It's uh, great to be with you again. And do uh, open or switch on your Bibles. And we're going to be looking uh, at Samson, which is Judges 13 through to 16. And we're going to try and cover most of it together. Uh, so it's going to be hard work over the next few minutes, but hopefully lots of lessons. And then we've got uh, questions that we're going to break into groups and try and discuss. Um, let's put it this way. Um, Samson deals with uh, some of the issues that men sometimes struggle with. We may not always feel as strong as Samson, but there are some lessons we can learn uh, from him. So it begins in chapter 13, which we're not going to deal with so much, with the story of a remarkable birth. And uh, just like our Lord Jesus, we have an angel appearing with, uh, to, to the mother and saying, you're going to have a really special child. And so what we do is, uh, Judges chapter 13, we see the angel of the Lord, chapter 13 verse 3, appeared to the woman and said to her, behold, you're barren, not born children but you're going to conceive a, and bear a son. Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the, and I, I call them Philistines. I know you call them Philistines. That's fine. Um, so those, that's the condition that this child is going to be born under. He's a Nazarite. Now, if you want to know about Nazarites, you've got to go back to Numbers chapter 6, so fourth book in the Bible, um, and chapter 6. And there it tells you there are three things a Nazarite can't do. Anyone remind me what they are? Just call out. Drink alcohol, yeah. Cut his hair. Touch anything unclean. And what sort of things might be unclean? Dead bodies. Okay, so, and it's more than just... um, don't drink alcohol. Let's just read this to get it. Um, Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. The Lord said, spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when a man or woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar made from wine or strong drink. He shall not eat any juice of grapes or eat grapes fresh or dried. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing that's produced from the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins. So it's not just that you can't have wine, you also can't have raisins, you can't have fresh grapes, whatever. So that's the deal. And you could ask why that's the deal, but that's not the question we're going to deal with this morning. So let's uh, now plunge into Judges chapter 14, where we're going to get Samson as a young man, and we're going to start looking at his life. And I want you to um, um, just say, let's say, beep. You know, beep. Whenever you come across Samson breaking some Nazarite rules. Uh, so just call out and we'll see uh, what he does. Or, um, and you can do a, a quiet beep if you just think he's getting close to the edge. Samson, this is Sam, uh, Judges chapter 14, verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw, and notice that word, he saw, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now, get her for me as wi- my wife. 
But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among our people that you must go and take a wife from these uncircumcised Philistines? Now, you don't need to do a slight beep there, but it is interesting if you're not supposed to touch anything unclean and the Philistines are unclean because they're uncircumcised, you know, there's a a bit of interest there, isn't it? But Samson said to his father, and this is great logic here, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines ruled over his realm. Then Samson went down with his father and mother, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. I, I should hear be hearing at least slight beeps, slight beeps, you know, because vineyards, well, what, what, what's in vineyards? But anyway, uh, yeah, and behold, a young lion came um, towards him roaring. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. Although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not, did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked to the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. So you see he's doing a lot of seeing, and she's right in my eyes, and that's what decides it's okay. After some days, he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. Yeah, maybe you don't want to beep, but, you know, just shout out if you prefer that rather than beep. Uh, he's, he's turning to a carcass, carcass, really unclean. Nazarite shouldn't be touching carpus, carcasses. Um, and behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey, and he scraped out into his hands. So food from unclean carpus, carcasses is unclean food. Uh, and he went on eating as he went, and he came to his father and mother, and he gave some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. His father went down uh, to the woman and Samson prepared a feast there, for so the young men used to do. Now, I've got a question here. <clears throat> what do you think they drank at the feast? It's fairly obvious that if you're doing it like the young men used to do, it's probably not just water. Um, so, and even the word feast in Hebrew comes from the root to drink. So they're certainly going to be drinking there. Uh, and that's what he's getting involved in. And as soon as he saw them, uh, they brought 30 companions to be with him. And Samson said to them, let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen garments. Notice the number 30 and 30 changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. They said to him, put your riddle that we may hear it. And he said to them, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days, they could not solve the riddle. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband and tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? And Samson's wife wept over him and said, you only hate me. You do not love me. You put a riddle to my people and you've not told me what it is. And I love his reply. But he said to her, behold, I've not told my father nor my mother. And shall I tell you? Try that with your wife. actually don't she wept before him for seven days that the feast lasted and on the seventh day he told her because she pressed him hard then she told the riddle to her people and the men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down what is sweeter than honey and strong what is stronger than the lion and he said to them this is not the way to refer to your wife either if you had not plowed with my heifer 
you would not have found out my riddle. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men out of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to them. You should be beeping at this point because, of course, he's killing them and then he's stripping the corpses, isn't he? Uh, to get their spoil and gave the garments to those who had explained the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house and Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. So, so far, what you're seeing is this is a man who's being used by God within his sovereignty to deliver the Israelites from their oppressors. He has great strength and that strength comes from God. It doesn't come from him. Um, you know, able to fight lions, able to fight uh, 30 men and get the 30 sets of clothing. But we're also seeing something else. We're seeing a weakness in terms of he's got God's help and yet he seems to be breaking a lot of the Nazarite vows. Well, let's read on and see what happens uh, because I think it's worthwhile just reading this in one go to get the whole flow. So, judge it, and, and besides which, if I say nothing and I just read the Bible, then uh, you will have really benefited because this is the word of God. Uh, and I'm, I'm just going to throw in comments because as we read it, I think we're going to see a lot. So, Judges chapter 15. After some days, at the time of wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go in to my wife into the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought you utterly hated her so that I gave her to your companion. And this is not a thing you should say if you're a father. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, this time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So Samson went and caught 300, note the not number, foxes and took torches. And he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing corn of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the orchard, uh, the standing corn as well as the olive orchards. In other words, this is going to be an absolute economic disaster for them. Uh, every sort of grain, whether the stuff they've already taken out of the fields, whether the stuff that's still there in the fields, just gone. So there's a real problem about where you get food from because you couldn't just import it. Then the Philistines said, who's done this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, this man from Timnah, that uh, he has taken his wife and given her to his companion, i.e. best man. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Samson said to them, if this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you. And after that, I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. And he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock at Etam. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? They said, we've come up to bind Samson to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000, note the number, 30, 300, 3,000 men left uh, of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to the Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you've done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so I've done to them. And they said to him, we've come down to bind you that we may give you into the hand of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. They said to him, no, we will only bind you and give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. Now, before we get on to the continuation of the story, I want to comment on numbers. A lot of people, when they see patterns in the Bible, like Job 
has a certain number of cattle and it's exactly doubled at the end of the story, or you've got a 30 and a 300 and a 3,000, they say, well, surely this is just a story. It's not telling you this is historically real. The thing is that the same sort of patterns occur in the Gospels as well. Jesus will meet um, a woman who's had a flow of blood for 12 years in Mark's Gospel. Next door story is a girl who's 12 years old. Because one of the things that this passage is telling us is God is completely sovereign. So God's sovereign and he's uh, actually using Samson to defeat the Philistines. And he's so sovereign that even the patterns, history occurs in patterns. And I think that's one of the things that the Bible's often teaching us. So don't think that just because it occurs in literary patterns, it isn't true. But one of the things that the, the patterns do is they help you remember the story. Because these are stories you should be uh, knowing the details of, just like when you read those stories to your kids such that if you change a word or two, they're going to get really upset because they know the way the story goes. That's just an aside. Okay, so what's going to happen? The people of Judah have got um, Philist, um, uh, Goliath, not Goliath, <laughs> nothing to do with Goliath, Samson bound. Verse 14, when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax um, that had caught the fire, and his bonds melted from off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey. Thank you. Fresh jawbone of a donkey. Nice, recently killed uh, animal, therefore carcass. And he put out his hand and took it. And with it he struck a thousand men. And Samson said, with a jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with a jawbone of a donkey, I have struck down a thousand men. As soon as he had finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand. And that place was called Ramath Lehi. Lehi, by the way, means um, jawbone. As he was very thirsty, uh, he called upon the Lord and said, You've granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. And shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is at Lehi, and water came out from it. And when he drank, his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore the name of this place is called Ein Hakore, that's at Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines for 20 years. Now, what's happening next? Chapter 16. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute. And he went into her, and the Gazites were told, Samson's come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, let's wait till the light of the morning, then we'll kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and two, the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that's in front of Hebron. So I got up in the middle of the night, but I haven't managed to carry any gates yet. After this, verse 4, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek. By the way, Sorek's a type of grape, um, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies and what that means, that we may overpower him and that we may bind him and humble him. And we will give you 11, each 1,100 pieces of silver, which is a massive amount. So Delilah said to Samson, Please uh, tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that some, someone could subdue you. Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up the seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound uh, uh, him with them. Now, she had men lying in ambush in, an Im in a chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire, so the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you've mocked me and told me lies. 
please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, if they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them, and she came to him. Then the Philistine uh, uh, said to him, the Philistines were upon you, Samson, and the men lying in ambush were in an inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, third time round, until now you've mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into a web. And she made them tight with the pin and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin, the loom and the web. And she said to him, how can you say I love you? When your heart is not with me, you've mocked me these three times and you've not told me where your great strength lies. And she pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him. His soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart. And he said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I've been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And, she, and he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. And that last sentence is just like in those films where, you know, you've got the hero and they, you get to see the danger before they, they do. Uh, well, uh, that, that little thing builds you a bit of suspense. So it's, it's, it's a great story, but... What we see is what happened to Samson. Well, he's actually lost his strength entirely. Um, God was with him and God gave him strength and he blew it. And he blew it in a couple of ways. One is he followed his eyes. You know, all the time he follows his eyes. So what happens? His eyes are gouged out. Some people read the story of Samson. They say, how can God be with someone so bad? I mean, when he's doing the wrong thing all the time, how can God be with him? How can God bless him? He seems to get away with doing the wrong thing. He does not get away with doing the wrong thing. There is a consequence for him doing the wrong thing. He loses the strength of God. He actually loses his eyesight. He loses everything because he did the wrong thing. So don't you think, ah, you know, God's going to be with me all the time. doesn't matter what I do. I'm not going to lose at all. Actually, if you turn away from God, you will uh, lose. Now, he's also an example for us of having God with him. He does call on God when he's really exhausted. He's just had a really long fight and he's really thirsty. He calls on God and God give, give, gives him a drink. So that's one uh, set of things that we learn from Samson, just about uh, following our eyes. And there's going to be a discussion question soon um, because one of the great things about Samson and a lesson for us as a men's group is just how he speaks to men's issue. Um, uh, so he's got a weakness with women uh, and, and some of us may feel vulnerable 
uh, in that area. And so that's uh, something that will be good for uh, us to discuss, that there is actually a real consequence to uh, what he does. But there's also a bit more. Um, when we think about <coughs> how Delilah gets a secret out of him, what do we know? What do we notice about the way he get, she gets a secret out of him? Sorry, seductively, yeah. How long does it take her to get it out of him? Four times. And do you notice anything about those four times? About the the different things that he gives her as answers. They're leading up to the answer. So by time number three, he's saying, you know, you need to do my hair in a special way. And he's just just slightly that hairline crack. Now, is Samson good at keeping secrets? Well, it's not, it wasn't that Delilah was the first time. Actually, there was that woman of Timnah that he sort of nearly married. Did he marry? Did he not marry? You know, was it consummated or not? And so on. Um, maybe not. Um, uh, but... The, the, the point is, she had already got the secret out of him. So in other words, he knew his weakness. He should have known his weakness in this area. He's, so what we're seeing is a pattern that occurs so much in the Bible, which is what you sow, you reap. Uh, the sorts of things that he's been, that the, the habits that he's been um, cherishing actually uh, live with him. Now, I want to um, finish off the story because it really is quite important. Verse uh, 16, verse 23. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon their god and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand, which is not correct. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once. O, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested and leant his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed his, um, with all his strength and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were on it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his lifetime. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of Benoah, his father, he had judged Israel for 20 years. So he dies like this. Do we know anyone else who dies in this position? Well, that's a bit too obvious a question, isn't it? But he's praying. What's he praying for when he dies? He's praying for strength. For what reason? For vengeance on his two eyes. What does Jesus pray when he's in this position? Remember the prayer from the cross? There's just one of the seven sayings from the cross. There's only one that's a, um, a request from God. Father, forgive them. Isn't it quite a striking thing? That Samson is a picture of Jesus in many ways. He saves Israel. But at his death, he causes more death than in his entire life. And at his death, our Lord causes life. So what we see is actually a picture by contrast. He's, call, he's calling for vengeance. 
and Jesus is calling for forgiveness. He's causing death and salvation. Our Lord is causing life and salvation. Samson is someone who has a miraculous birth and out, just as our Lord does. He's someone who says, I thirst, just as our Lord does. There are similarities there, but there are also contrasts. And often in the Bible, we have that, where we see that there are things where um, figures in the Old Testament are, are pictures of Christ, but they're also Sometimes we think, yeah, but they're not very good pictures of Christ because they sort of suddenly they're doing the wrong thing. So you're thinking, oh, this is a great picture until suddenly, you know, David has adultery with Bathsheba and you think, oh, that doesn't really work anymore. But actually it does work because, because Christ is so wonderful, no one picture can do him justice. And because Christ alone is perfect, no human can ever attain to being perfect. Um, so therefore, actually, it's important that every single one of them fails because they fail, so you see in greater relief the one who really matters, our Lord Jesus Christ. So that, I think, is a way it can be helpful to, um, to read this, that Samson is someone with this terrible weakness. Now, I want us, as we uh, break into groups shortly, to have a look at some of the questions. One of them is what good examples we learn from Samson, because he is a person of God. He does call on God. God gives him strength. Hebrews 11.32 sets him up positively as an example there are things he doesn't do everything wrong he does depend on God uh, and that's something we need to discuss next thing we're going to look at bad examples now some people when they look at the book of judges think that the judges are getting gradually worse and he's the last of the judges and actually um, <laughs> um, there's a progression showing you that just as the kings of Israel and Judah seem to get gradually worse on the whole before finally there's big consequence that this time of the judges when um, you don't have centralized power, um, uh, you know, actually gets gradually worse. And by the way, I'm going to make a political comment, comment at this point. One of the things that you see um, in the narrative in 1 Samuel, and it's a beautiful narrative, uh, is where Sam, the people have requested a king, and uh, Samuel warns them everything that will be involved in having a king. And um, this is 1 Samuel chapter 8. And everyone should know this because it, it's a beautiful passage. And it tells you about how he's going to uh, increase taxes, take a tenth of your grain and vineyards and la da da yeah, Just read 1 Samuel 8. You will love it because it's a warning about big government, right? And that's the problem with kings. Now, some people think that the solution to big government is to have small government. That was the days of the judges. And one of the great things that the Bible's actually telling you is that neither of those solutions on its own works. <laughs> because actually there's a moral question that humans need to address. You know, you leave a whole load of humans in their sin with small government, well, what's going to happen? You leave a whole load of humans in, big, uh, in, in their sin in big government, what's going to happen? The problem actually, and it's not, you know, obviously we may have views about what we prefer, and, and that's all very, fine, but there's a deeper issue which is the moral question in the heart of humans. That's what we've got to get down to. Now, the third question we've got to discuss is particularly how um, Samson can be an example of us uh, to us and warn us about the weakness that men have. And I want us particularly here to think about this, uh, the subject of sexual temptation, visual temptation, um, uh, you know, looking at images and that sort of stuff, uh, where it would be helpful for us to just... Uh, reflect on that. It's a, a thing I think uh, many of us struggle with. Uh, I'm, I, I'm not a porn user, but I absolutely know that I so could be. Uh, that that in, in terms of what holds my character from that, it, it, it's only the work of the Holy Spirit because absolutely that's you know what what I could be. And I, I know 
that's and to think that you know just looking at something isn't going to have a consequence that can be part of the temptation uh, of these things to think that you know it doesn't reprogram our, game, our, our, our brains and so on but of course you know if you're looking at airbrushed pictures of, of women who have you know been specially selected uh, for uh, their beauty and, and so on and then if we're married you know um, putting expecting our wives to you know compete alongside that and it, it will reprogram the way we think and so I want us to have some some frank discussion about that so um, hope we can break into groups and we're going to have some reporting back uh, on what we can learn from these great stories about Samson. So let's uh, get into groups. Um, you can get into really small groups or you can stay in large groups. Um, just you decide what sort of size of group you're comfortable with. And the questions are here. Okay, everyone. Um, hopefully you've managed to get through all three questions. If you haven't quite, then uh, some others will share with you. But I'm just going to see if we can race through. Uh, we've got about 10 groups. So that's a minute to do everything. Uh, and it will... Maybe you can take slightly more at the beginning, but um, add on new things only. Don't repeat. So uh, any real highlights that you have from any of these three questions, just share with us. Uh, for the first one, in what ways is Samson a good example for us? He was courageous against the enemy. Uh, he stood up to the enemy. At the end, he came back to God. He knew the source of his strength. Uh, he had strong character in the sense that when he set his mind to do something, he did it. Uh, in what ways is Samson a bad example for us? Uh, he periodically forgets the source of his strength. Uh, he was very cocky, impulsive. He was selfish, and he broke his Nazarite vows. Um, what does the story teach us about how men can avoid going astray? Uh, we all came up with fellowship is the key, must have accountability, uh, must be guarded, and uh, don't be cocky. Right, great. Well, that was really quick, so that leaves uh, more time. You don't all have to rush. Uh, so who, who have we got here doing our spoking, speaking? Spokesman. Okay, uh, for the first one, we talked about Samson being a good example in that uh, he did call out to God. The, the problem for him was he called out after he was in that pit. So we <laughs> talked about, um, you know, how progressively he killed more men and more men and more men, and he never fulfilled his desire for vengeance. And really, he needed to go to God earlier on. And that's the answer we had for the last one is go to God earlier on. At the beginning, when you feel like you're having when you have that desire for vengeance or when you're falling into lust don't wait till the very end until you're in the pit and then you go to god yeah great thank you okay over here <laughs> okay so uh i think in what ways that samson was a good example is that he turned back to god uh so he did repent and turn back and he was courageous um oh sorry i think somebody mentioned courageous there he did put himself in risky temptations. He didn't learn the lessons from the past, and there was lots of compromises that led to his eventual fall. Um, we noticed that he violated the two Nazarite vows, and then finally when that third one was violated with cutting his hair, that's when the Lord left him. Um, one of the big lessons I think that we took away from that, the more we compromise and put ourselves in risky situations, the harder it is to resist the, the final temptation. Mm. Good. Thank you. Okay, over here. Alan. Well, I guess one of the big takeaways, too, is in our society now, the visual aspect is of men. And we talk about how easy at the touch of a button, and then it was mentioned, well, really not even that. You do an email or something, and all these visuals come automatic. They're on billboards. They're everywhere. And as men, 
man, we need, <laughs> we need help. We need Jesus in that. Uh, there's no other way. And, uh, Amen. So, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, great. And here? Uh, we talked about uh, the fact that he did recognize that his strength came from God. Uh, I mean, a lot of the things that have already been said um, didn't listen to his parents. Right. Yeah, he didn't listen to his parents. And, um, you know, if you stay true to God and seek him first in everything, you'll eliminate a lot of that stuff. If you let things get into your life that aren't what God wants for you, Mm -hmm. you start to dabble on that fringe, then you're setting yourself up for spiritual downfall. Right. Great. Thank you. We got here. (laughs) You've been volunteered? Yeah. we, uh, we just discussed that um, Samson was, uh, he was anointed, and, you know, we looked at him as a, someone that, how can he do all these uh, bad things? And, uh, but uh, he's really no different than the rest of us. We all do a lot of bad things, but it's mm-hmm. the fact that we're saved uh, by grace that um, we're set apart. Um, and, uh, you know, God can still, uh, in spite of all the things that we do wrong, he can still use us to do some things that are right for him. Yep. Okay, great. Thank you. So we actually didn't get to the last three questions, but we did find... The two. last three you didn't do. <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> the, uh, we, so we saw a couple of uh, similarities <clears throat> between Samson and Jesus. One was he was turned in by his own people to the pagans, and uh, you know his death came at the hand of the pagans. And secondly, they both seemed to have a voluntariness about their death. Yep. Okay, great. Thank you. What do we got here? All right. All right. So we just, we just talked about... Uh, he always seemed to call upon the Lord, even at the very end. So even if it was something small, like a glass of water, or at the very end, he realized that it wasn't his hair that gave him the strength. It was, um, he realized it came from the Lord, and, and, and at the end of his life, he came to that conclusion. So that was something great. Uh, as far as a bad example, he always, he always fell so easily into temptation, and, and he found the wrong women. We talked about, um, even though some people can read that passage and find that, look at that, that woman, she's so wrong, and women are evil, but really... It's actually his decision in the beginning to choose the wrong women that led to that, that eventual outcome. So that's mm-hmm. what we talked about for that. And then lastly, it's just uh, we didn't really get to as much, but I like what people said about we talked about he, there was never a time in this, in this passage where he talked about he had believers around him or people who were uh, great uh, Jewish men. Um, instead, he surrounded himself by people who weren't that way, and that's, you know, that's what we had to learn, and that's how we can go, not go astray. Thank you. Okay, over here. I guess the first, um, the first two um, questions, we kind of have the same thing that everybody else has. But the last question, um, and that's what we talked about, it's about accountability like he just spoke of. And how we always like to use uh, when somebody gives, comes at us, we always say, well, only God can judge. And that's the biggest misconception as brothers in Christ uh, because God's not going to come down and say, hey, man, this is what you're doing wrong. We need to be accountable to each other. And so, like I said, my David – everybody in here has to tell, hey, man, this is what you're doing wrong, so we can't expect God to do that. So whenever we say God can only judge, that's just an excuse for us doing the wrong. And I think that's exactly what happened with Samson where, like he said, that he didn't have anybody to be accountable to. And so nobody would say, hey, this is what's going on. And, um, so that's why he got to do what he wanted to. Right. So it happens when you're good looking and strong. You just do whatever you want. <laughs> uh, right. Okay. Who we got here? You had long to choose. <laughs> All right. Um, let's see. We went over uh, Samson being a great example of possibly having the best mullet in the Bible. 
Um, that's what we kind of went over. No, uh, just basically that he goes to the Holy Spirit for power, and um, there's going to be temptation in life. And ultimately, we need to make sure we have the Spirit of the Lord on tap, like Gatorade, yep. throughout the per- perseverance of life. Great, thank you. And last but not least, we have uh, this table here. So who's your? Philip. Philip. Okay, go for it. Well, unguarded uh, strengths are a problem, and uh, Samson knew his uh, gifts and his strengths, but he abused them constantly. So we have to, you know, even when we know we're strong on an area, we still have to be vigilant and uh, don't let uh, temptations uh, overtake us just because we aren't vigilant enough to keep uh, on top of uh, things that really can lead us astray. Yeah. Good. So um, what we see with Samson is there's a real uh, trail of destruction and um, that he, he's being used by God to judge the Philistines and also to liberate um, the Israelites. But uh, there are terrible things that happen. For instance, you know, his first wife or fiance or whatever you want to say, you know, getting burnt uh, as a result. Um, there are, um, the method doesn't seem to be entirely good. And you also can think of the contrafactual. Uh, thing as in what didn't happen if he hadn't fallen the way he had fallen how much longer might he have judged Israel how much more might he have delivered them uh, if he hadn't actually uh, done this now of course in God's sovereignty this actually worked out so that they were delivered Um, I didn't particularly speak about but this group did um, about the similarities between uh, Christ and Samson and I just want to go through a few of those Obviously, they both die. They both die in the same position. They both um, have miraculous birth stories. They both um, thirst. They're both betrayed for money. And then they both have the spirit of the Lord on them as uh, a striking thing. We'll look at in a passage in a minute. But then we could talk about the contrast. Christ giving life to all. Um, uh, Samson bringing death to so many. And Christ calling out for forgiveness while... Samson calls out for revenge. But in order to just uh, rub this in, I want to look at a passage um, from Isaiah, or you might say Isaiah, chapter 11 and verse 3. Now, this is an amazing passage because this is where uh, we have the one who's anointed with God's Spirit. And this is what we read. Uh, We'll maybe start at verse 1. There shall come forth a, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And then we're going to hear the sevenfold spirit. And the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. That's one spirit. Um, a spirit of wisdom and of understanding. Two, three. A spirit of counsel and of might. Four, five. A spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Six, seven. If you're wondering about the sevenfold spirit of God in the book of Revelation, this could be a text it comes from. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. So we have a beautiful contrast here between Samson, whose whole judging method is based on his eyes and what he sees, and that's what he's going to follow with our Lord Jesus Christ, who doesn't judge that way. So let's not read this book of uh, uh, this story of Samson and think, well, you know, this shows that even if I'm in serious sexual sin, I can still be used by God. It's okay. That's not the lesson you're going to go away with at all. I mean, what we're meant to see is, of course, God does use this man, despite um, some of the um, you know, terrible things he does. Um, it's God's sovereign choice to use someone, but that's not a guarantee. And anyone who's thinking uh, that um, you know, God's going to stay with me 
whatever I do, is in exactly the same position as Samson was. He thought that God was just going to stay with him, uh, even though he uh, went after multiple women, was just seeking revenge, personal revenge. Not, I mean, he doesn't seem to have any thought in him of, I'm going to deliver Israel. I mean, he, he happens to deliver Israel. But that's, that's not what he set out to do. All he set out to do was to find a good-looking woman that he wanted. You know, and he decides, you know, he's going to have revenge. And after one stage of revenge, he says, and then I will stop. But of course, he doesn't stop. It keeps on going. So he's someone who delivered Israel accidentally. You know, God is someone who delivered his people Christ is someone who delivered his people deliberately. And so you've got another contrast there in terms of the way they do saving. And so, yes, God could use all of your mistakes to um, bring something good about, but that's not a reason for um, pursuing things that aren't the right way. So what I think we see from this is really, again, the excellencies of Christ. Let's meditate on how amazing he is that what he set out to do uh, deliberately was rather than to seek to justify himself, actually to take our sins upon himself. So whereas Samson's constantly trying to make himself look right and say, you know, I'm in the right, there isn't another side to it, um, uh, Christ, who is absolutely perfect, should take on our sin and die for us so that we might be delivered, is really amazing. So I just want to um, say that for me, as I read this passage, I am ever more thankful for Christ and what he's done. So I'm just going to close in prayer and then uh, hand back to Eric. Lord, thank you for what we've read. Please may these lessons um, go really deep into our hearts. And please um, help us to be pure in what we look at and see and uh, countable and dependent on your spirit and holy and not seeking revenge. Uh, And uh, Lord, may we be the sort of people you want us to be. When I think of the Old Testament and and the anointing and then the Spirit of God came upon Samson and I I look at the benefits associated with that, anyone in the Old Testament, any king in the Old Testament, any prophet in the Old Testament would truly die to have what we have in Christ right now. That we don't wait for the Spirit of God to come upon us, that He is placed his spirit within us, that we don't hope that we're chosen or hope that we're anointed, that in Christ Jesus we are called and in Christ Jesus we're anointed. And one of the sad lines in Samson's life is that it said the spirit of God left him and he didn't even know it. And so as we go through our days, is it possible for us as men to live life in such a way that we're completely ignorant of the treasure that Christ has given us, His Spirit that has come into us, and that we would be unaware, unaware of the strength, unaware of the power, unaware of the freedom and the victory that has been given to us in Christ, so that we then compromise in things morally. We, we, we look at things and we live life as if we weren't anointed of God and full of His Spirit. And I don't want that to be the story of my life. I don't want that to be the story of your life. And so I just want to, I want to call you up this morning to say that God has withheld no good thing from us in Christ. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That is 
That is it. And so if you're that guy flirting on the edge right now, I just want to call you and say, hey, turn around, repent. You do not have to go that way. That the gospel is we're freed from the penalty of sin and the power of sin, which means we do not have to sin. And yet one day we will be freed from the presence of sin when Christ returns. Until then, we fight that fight, right? Do not fight it alone. We've encouraged you to have another man in your life. And if if you say, Eric, I don't have one, let me help you find one. Uh, But anyway, I want to pray over you all. I hope you hear my spirit. What he has shared is, is spot on. The greatest tragedy is that we would not recognize the treasure of Christ and we would not protect it and live in the victory of that. And so, uh, so I love you all, and, and Jesus loves you even more, and I want us to walk in that freedom. I really, really do. So let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for these men. I thank you for who you have called all of us to be. I thank you, Father, that you have withheld no good thing from us as your sons. Father, I thank you that you've given us all we need for life and godliness, not just life, Father, but life and godliness, that we are free from the penalty and the power of sin. And yes, Lord, I long and yearn for the day that I will be freed from the presence of sin. Today, God, I pray that we would repent of what needs to be repented. We would double down on you. We would invite another man into our life for accountability, for prayer, for encouragement, for camaraderie. So God, go with these men as they go into this world. And yes, it is a world in desperate need of your truth, a world in desperate need of light, a world in desperate need of men that walk uprightly for you and proclaim you not just in deeds, but also, God, in words. We love you, Jesus. We are a chosen generation. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.30 a.m. in the garden room of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. Have a great day.